right. So Ed's by our listeners, we are super excited to have George Valenzuela on with us. And we've got some really cool topics that I want to talk about. But first and foremost, I would love for you to maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, first of all, Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, Happy New Year. Daniel and Holly. I, am I your first one of the year? Actually, yes. Yes. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. Yeah. And we you're going to kick off 2021. Well, the, and the cool thing is you're <laughs> going to kick off our season two. So we just ra- we're wrapping, we just wrapped up season one. And this will be the first episode for season wow. two. So we're super excited about that. Wow. So you guys have recorded about how many? 13 now? episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So I've been listening. I've been listening. I haven't heard all 13, but you know, definitely what I'm hearing, like you guys are amazing and you have some amazing folks on there. Um, some hard to reach people too, by the <laughs> We're way. We're persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Congrat- you yeah, don't say that to us. You don't say <laughs> Well, Holly's very, you know, Holly is just a great social media um, person and, you know, I've been following her and so I appreciate her. So, all right, so I'll start. Um, yeah, I have 17 years of experience as both a classroom and online teacher, a district administrator, and now as an education coach, author, and advocate. And in my current context, I'm an online adjunct at Old Dominion University down in Virginia, which we all are Woo-hoo. down in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. represent. Yeah. <laughs> and I am the lead coach at Lifelong Learning Defined. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, so going into you know, all your experience and, and what you've done, up until this point, it, it, you know, is, is crazy to kind of think about. And I'm sure if you ever handed me a resume, your resume, it'd be, it'd be pretty spectacular. So t- can you talk a little bit about your, your, your company and, and really how, you know, your passions kind of led you to there? Yeah, so my passion, well, what led me to form a company a few years ago was I was an administrator at, a, at the district level at Richmond City Public Schools. And what I realized is that we were asking teachers to do things that we didn't know how to do ourselves. And so I felt that as an instructional leader, I should be leading by going first. And so I traveled out to the West Coast and I joined an organization that was back then called Buck Institute for Education. Now it's PBL Works. And so I became a coach in project-based learning, which basically helped me to have a framework for planning lessons and for um, teaching them. And so I already had an expertise in computer science and STEM engineering, things like that. But by going out on the road for the last six years, I learned math, ELA, social studies and science. And so my work has company now. And so the main goal that I'm really trying to do is impact social change Mm -hmm. by helping educators and your schools become their absolute best for developing students who are equipped with both the skills and dispositions needed for successful lives. And so I do this by helping them align three major items of focus that most schools have, but are not really aligned. Number one is local and federal policies. Two are good teaching practices, which I think should be the top thing, right? And number three, the needs of the workforce. And so This often includes initiatives in schools like STEM, computer science, um, computational thinking, emotional intelligence, equity, SEL, and things like that. So I have to ask, so when you say, so, so you have a book out and it's called, it's called Rev It Up Robotics. 
right? Yes, it's rev up rev robotics, up robotics right. and then computational thinking. So I'm a school counselor, and I hope that I'm not embarrassing other school counselors. But I have <laughs> so my background's a little different. What is computational thinking? Can you give me like a good working example of what that would be? Okay, so computational thinking, I like to think as the framework for solving problems in computer science. Yes. Does that make sense? So in computer science, we have hardware and software. Okay, there's two different things that we are designing. And so computational thinking, though, is a cross-curricular skill, which means it can be adapted or integrated into other subjects. So think of computational thinking as a problem-solving skill or a set of mm -hmm. skills that involves four different elements or mindsets, decomposition, abstraction, pattern recognition, and algorithm design. And so I recommend starting computer science here because computational thinking is foundational for problem-solving in computing. And so when we think about teaching computational thinking, we should think of it as being infused into what we already mm -hmm. teach. And for having our kids use this way of thinking or these mindsets, as I like to call them, to solve problems in our subject areas. Yeah. Would you like for me to provide some examples or? Yeah, like maybe an example, because I'm thinking too, just my school counselor brain, because, you know, we teach in school counseling, we teach mindsets and behaviors and problem okay, solving. Great. All right. So, all right. So I'll do it very simply, right? So decomposition helps learners break down complex problems into easier to manage pieces. And so the best way to start for any educator is have them decompose tasks they already do, like brushing their teeth, tying a shoelace, even baking a cake. Right now it's like banana bread is the big deal, right? So right. <laughs> pumpkin spices out, that, banana right? bread is in. Right. Pattern recognition is mapping similarities and differences mm -hmm. and decompose problems. And that's an important skill to have for making predictions. And this can be introduced to young people and really adults, which I do in my workshops, right. is by showing them images of various animals or desserts. Now, abstraction is simply the process of taking away or removing features from something in order to make a new set of features or synthesis. And an algorithm is a well-defined procedure, a process, or a set of rules that we follow in a sequential order. Mm. And so we don't only design algorithms in computer science when we're coding or designing a network. I can do that in math if I'm doing long, if I'm doing long division or, or reducing fractions, or in ELA class if I'm creating procedures or the steps of doing something. Oh, cool. I love that. Yeah, very and I, well said. Yeah, I, I think that was very well said. It really put it into perspective for me for like taking – um, you know, what, what coding is and what, you know, making sure everything's in a sequence for these students and incorporating it into content. And I think that's the tricky part for, you know, that's why, why I love my job is I get to kind of be creative in that process. And I'm thinking for, for teachers, do you encourage them to kind of, you know, be creative when they, you know, help to incorporate, you know, coding, you know, or as far as anything, computer, uh, you know, science into their curriculum? Well, yeah, well, you know, um, um, coding is an earned skill. And so because it's an earned skill, it can intimidate a lot of people. And so I created a framework for, um, for um, computer science. 
And so I'd say that the most important thing or the most important things to really think about are starting with the basics and the fundamentals, core concepts, um, core practices. And so computational thinking is part of the core practices. And that's really where we should start. And I would even start with unplugged lessons. And so I'm going to provide you guys in the show notes, a chapter from my book that focuses solely on computational thinking. And it gives you a bunch of lessons and how to do that with kids without technology. And then as you, as you become better, then, then you can incorporate different apps and different tech. Yeah. That makes so much, like getting the foundation, right? Getting that foundational got foundation in, in the concept, right? Before you start adding yeah. in the fancy, st- you know, for lack of a better exactly. word. Exactly. Right? right. Think of basketball. Like we don't start our kids on alley-oops and dunking. Yeah. We start them with ball handling <laughs> and dribbling. Oh yeah. No, the ba- basics. And, um, you know, there, there's lots of huh. techniques that, that I, I'm, I'm going to look forward to looking for. And thank you for providing us with that chapter. I think that's, that's awesome. And, and looking into your Rev Up Robotics, um, you know, book, I feel like, you know, a lot of people from my county, all, we have, um, I think we have maybe 34 innovative learning coaches just in the elementary schools within Henrico. And, and I'm going to try to see if, you know, we can try to figure out a way to kind of bring this book and, um, you know, into, into what we are, you know, are learning on a regular basis. Cause, you know, just hearing you talk, I'm, I'm, I'm we've been talking now, so 10, you know, <laughs> six to seven minutes and, you know, my page is full of notes and, you know, I'll go back and reflect upon it, but, um, no, yeah, just just loving it. Um, what would you say for like an instructional coach coming out? Um, you know, so I've been doing this for two years now, and uh, you know, we do the, the coaching cycle when we talk with you know our teachers with the analyze, plan, implement, reflect, and kind of not in that particular order. Um, but like, what? I guess I'm trying to figure out a good way to put this. You know, I, what are some strategies that you would give to? to teachers. Cause I've learned that most of them, what I've done this year is just listen. And I've, and I feel like I've gotten a lot better just by listening to, you know, teachers throughout this process. What's another good strategy for, for teachers or instructional coaches to, to use while kind of going through that coaching cycle with, with other teachers. I really think that the most important thing right now is having educators have a systematic approach to knowing where they are emotionally. I think that what we're doing a lot in education at times is we focus on the content and skills, but we don't really focus on ourselves. And so I think that in order for us to have social and cultural um, competence, you know, an understanding of our students, I think we need to start with ourselves. And so there's a book that I read a few years ago. It's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's by Dr. Travis Bradbury and Jean Greaves. And so the book, it came with an EQ or emotional intelligence appraisal, which I took online and I scored a 74, which helped me understand that I needed to understand, number one, how I am showing up emotionally in my work just in my classroom, how am I showing up right now? But also how I'm showing up in my social interactions, not just with students, but also with my friends and colleagues and family. And so I think that helping educators have a systematic approach to doing that is going to help us to better serve students. You see, 
to really serve our kids, we need to have a knowledge of students to inform our teaching. Mm -hmm. And this awareness and education is to inform teaching, right? And so that's the um, definition by, by scale out of Stanford. Okay. And so what I do with educators is this, it's not like, hey, if we don't know what we're experiencing ourselves and then have a strategy for self-managing and, and restoring peace, then how are we going to do that with our kids? And so what the pandemic has done, I think, in my opinion, it's spotlighted inequities and issues, not just in the lives of the kids, but also the educators. And so I know this, like I know me and I've coached so many folks from April all, all the way through now. And what I'm realizing is that folks are numb right now. They don't even know like where they are emotionally. And I think that is going to really get worse if we don't have a system. And so what I like to do is in my workshops, I, for self-awareness, I introduce a couple of situations or um, scenarios. One could be extreme loss and one is bad Wi-Fi in, <laughs> in remote learning, yeah. right? And then I show them um, Plutchik's Wheel of Emotions. And so when they realized, oh my God, the emotions I experience on a day-to-day -day basis are really eight main ones in tandem with other ones. And if I can identify what I'm experiencing right now before it's a feeling and before it's an action, then I can find a strategy to self-manage mm -hmm. and restore my peace so that I can be a good teacher. Which is and what, I think, what we're teaching kids, right? That's what we want to Right. And I think that's what we should start with the educators, in my opinion. That, that's incredible to hear, like, that that's part of your coaching practice, that that's part of what you infuse to new teachers and practicing teachers is incredible because I think, right, like we, and I say this all the time, like we are, the, as educators, we're the instrument in our, yeah. in our, in our practice. Um, so I love that self-awareness piece and being able to kind of look at what we're doing, not from a place of judgment or shame, but this is kind of where we are. What do we need? And, and I think we've been doing it for so long that, that we are starting to get stuck. And I, I think you're totally right. We, we just <laughs> got to start figuring our way out. Yeah. It's the basics and the fundamentals. I, um, wow. I just wrote a new ebook that was published through Carly and Adam. It's called how to teach coding to um, kids. And so that has a framework too. It's four steps. Step one, start with computational thinking. Step two, make your solutions with pseudocode and flow charting. Step three, know what the core coding concepts are, like inputs, outputs, loops, functions, you know, all of that. And the last step is after you get that, then you make programs. And so I think that the same thing applies in everything, whether it's PBL, whether it's STEM, but by their um, it's emotional intelligence is really have a framework for the basics, for the fundamentals and meeting yourself where you are. Mm -hmm. And every person's in a different place. But if we meet ourselves where we are, then we can help ourselves. I love it because we're always talking about meet your kids where they are. I hear that over and over in education, but that's the first time I've heard meet yourself where you are. Like that, yeah. that's like really resonating with me. So I guess my question would be, so you, you have a book that's geared towards teaching kids coding. So in elementary, you know, we've got K through five teachers. They teach, you know, they don't specialize in science or math. Can anyone kind of pick this 
book up and, you know, with a teaching background and start teaching it? Or do they need to have some kind of background or, or training, I guess, oh, in gotcha. coding? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts right, on that? So <laughs> what I did, it, all right. So in the coding book, anyone can um, pick up the book and learn how to code. Um, but for my robotics book, what I did was I made the book in three parts. Part one is a framework for teaching robotics, just what the basics are, what they look like in the real world, you know, functions like, you know, gears, motors, all of that, you know, building this and that. But what I did in part two is I recommend to educators that, you know, teach ELA, math, science, and social studies. Um, I recommend that they don't dedicate an entire semester or a year's worth of their lessons to robotics or to STEM or computer science. What I recommend is that they do one high quality project a semester. Okay. And so a project should be two, three weeks tops. And what I did in the book is I dedicated a chapter to the research, has a mini lit review on how learners have learned using educational robotics and STEM in, in the classroom. And what I did as a gift, I wrote a chapter for each of the content areas for ELA, math, science, social studies. And what I did was I went into the common core and it's okay. Um, if you look at the VDOE website, we have already crosswalked um, common core with SOLs. But what I did was I dove into the common core, the NGSS, and the National Social Studies Standards, and I pulled out all of the um, correlations to the ISTE and to the computer science standards. And I provided one model exemplar lesson or project that they can adapt into their classroom immediately, not very expensive, and to start. I also included a plethora of other lessons and then in the final part of the book, I, I took it a step further and talked about PBL oh, yeah. and basically taking the activities from the lessons in part two of the book mm -hmm. and adapting that into their, their own unit plan as a project. Oh, cool. So the very seamless. The on top. Yeah. And so um, I'm going to email you guys this book. Oh, okay? It's a gift. Yeah, oh. Don't <laughs> share it with anyone. No, you can. It's for oh, that's terrific. Our eyes but, only. That's awesome. Yeah, but I'll provide it. And, and um, Daniel, if you ever need me to come to one of your meetings with you, um, wow. It's no problem. I'll be happy to do that. George, that's yes, terrific. I do it anyway. No, that's, there's, there's, that's terrific. There's perks of taking risks with podcasts. You get, <laughs> you get great hookups. Um, well, no. What, what I want is that this be common knowledge, yeah. not just for every teacher, but every student. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this is not a job for me. Right. Like, it's the purpose of my life. And so I think that you can hear in me mm -hmm. that the learning has been internalized but it's because it's a purpose and a calling. Absolutely. And so I'm always ready to always share this information and help anyone that needs help. Cause I love it. Cause ultimately it benefits the students and that's what we want. Right. Which in our, in our country. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and I always like, an I always like to say like, I'm just building, you know, trying to create future leaders and, and I think you kind of hit it on the you know nail on the head there. Yeah. We're just trying to create future leaders that are going to do good you know, by us and, and making sure that they're doing good things for the future, you know, this country, you're exactly right. Well, and speaking of that, I have a question for you, George. So sure. um, I saw you posted this on your Instagram today and it's, it's really kind of 
the crux of why I wanted to have you on in, in the first place or why we wanted to have you on in the first place. But it was um, from ISTE and it um, something to the effect of like looking at this pandemic as an opportunity to diversify instruction. And when we get into that, that new normal, you know, we've been talking for decades about how to personalize and diversify instruction and learning. How do you see the new normal in schools? What does that kind of ideal new school, quote unquote, new school look like in your kind of opinion? (laughs) That's a kind of, that's a lot, but. No, no, no. Well, I saw a tweet and I'm not sure if Dr. James Lane or, or Secretary Carney tweeted out, but I think that local school divisions are going to test or assess in lieu of the SOL. And so I believe that the pandemic will eventually do away with the high stakes assessment and will allow schools to do more of a performance-based assessment that will focus on the five C's, in my opinion. Um, In Virginia, you know, as you guys know, but the listeners may not know, we have um, a framework. It's called the Virginia Five C's. And it's a framework for critical thinking, um, collaboration, um, communication, um, creative thinking, and citizenship skills. And so I think that through the SEL equity work and emotional intelligence stuff that we're doing for educators, I think that the focus is going to be on not just making academic um, content scholars, but on making better citizens and better people. And so I think that all of this is going to result in a win-win, not just for the Commonwealth, but for the entire country. Um, I think in our state though, I think that, we've, that we're already ahead of the curve, in my opinion. Um, we had this all in place you know, before we even had a pandemic. And there was even a conversation about you know, doing away with the SOLs. And so- yeah, I- I love to hear that. It's some form of and, and I and yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. So I would totally agree with you. So we and Henrico have the Henrico Learning Profile, which is consisted of the six C's. The only thing they added was quality character to go with global citizen. So um, you know they try to switch up that way, but um, but you're right. It's starting to focus on being a good citizen and, and you know looking out for one another. Um, you know, first and foremost, and then those problem solving skills and those critical thinking, all kind of like what you were saying. Um, but like yeah. it's centered around make, making sure that all that stuff is like student, you know, driven and, you know, it's, you know, happening at home as well as in school. Um, yeah. Um, like, you know, think of everything that happened in our country um, just a few months ago. I mean, as educators, you know, I don't think that we are classified as essential workers, but we are definitely frontline workers. Absolutely. We're at the front line of what's happening and not happening in the home mm-hmm. and of how politics shapes a society. Yeah. Right. I mean, just think about that. So we have to take these things into account, in my opinion. Right. And I would agree with that opinion. I'd agree Absolutely. with that. But yeah. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. Daniel. <laughs> oh, I, I was like going to like you. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, like, you, yeah. you got me a book. Yeah. I'll give you all the compliments. <laughs> Um, but going, no, but, yeah. but going back to how you believe, like the state is kind of changing towards getting away with those standardized and those tests. Um, just like uh, for Henrik, I told you we now have 
34, you know, elementary school, innovative learning coaches, such as myself, um, you know, five years ago, there was, there was maybe about, um, you know, 10. So like, we're starting to incorporate that innovative learning and, and those life ready, um, you know, activities for students and kind of hopefully, yeah, pushing, starting to get the trend towards pushing away these, these standardized tests and yeah, making more of that, that project-based learning where it really works on their, their life ready skills moving forward and getting them ready for, you know, the future building future leaders. Yeah. And I, um, I want to piggyback off that. And also what Holly said, you know, I think the important, um, you know, skills, Mm -hmm. um, is really having a framework or a systematic approach to solving problems. And so of course there's some scientific inquiry Mm -hmm. with observation, field work, things like that, which, you know, environmental science um, really covers nicely. But there's also, like we've already said, um, computational thinking, engineering design, and design thinking. Mm-hmm. And so you throw that in with emotional intelligence skills, and we teach that to kids, boom. Yeah. We've already covered 100%. academics, right? tech, and they're better people. Yeah, and I think that um, goes back to one vocab word I learned back when I first started teaching, self-efficacy, is just mm-hmm. making sure students Ooh. have self-efficacy rolling forward, um, yeah. using all the stuff you just spoke about. And um you're right. Get, getting some more of the computational thinking. Um, I know I'm going to take, a, that's going to be my takeaway is making sure that I read that first chapter you send me and, and get rolling on, on helping those little ones and, um, you know, making moves forward. Now, I got you, brother. I, <laughs> I'm thinking too, you know, just how, how do you get to where you are? Like what fueled just, you know, your passion for even coming into education. I mean, you are such a dynamic um, educator and leader and, um, you know, I, I'm just curious how you started off into this journey. Did you have a game changer? Someone, I don't know. How did you get to where I, you are? I have one theory. You're since, <laughs> I have one theory. Robotics. Were you by chance a gamer back in the day? Were you in the games, electronics back in the day? Or yeah, how did you no, get involved no, no. in all this? I, well, okay, well, for me, um, I think that, intentions are a big deal. And so I, I lived in the inner city in Far Rockaway, Queens in a very poor neighborhood as a kid. And so I, <laughs> I grew up in a broken home, you know, and I lived in a high poverty area, but I had these educators and they were Jewish ladies, by the way, <laughs> from, from the, um, from the um, suburbs. And it was back in the eighties they really cared about us and they made sure that we can read, write and do mathematics. And so I was one of those kids that really did not have a lot of, of talents, but I was academically inclined. And so I always tell my kids this, um, you know, formal education is not for everyone, but I'm so glad it was for me Mm -hmm. Um, because that spirit of helping others um, stuck with me. And I met um, a CTE teacher in, in um, high school. And she basically said to me that the purpose of all education and all careers is to help others. And so I made that as my purpose. And so along the way, I met a lot of people. And so I didn't have it all figured out. Um, 
do I have it all figured out now? No, <laughs> but I have my confidence. Right. And because I am a confident person, I'm at peace with whatever's coming my way. And so I was in front of my university 20 years ago and all my buddies were like, hey, computer science is the future. And so I just happened to get into the major and I learned it. Um, but I wanted to help other people. So if you look at my work, everything is laid out in, in three ways. It's a fine tandem of research, personal insight or story, and then actionable steps, you know, practices. Mm -hmm. And so I did that work um, that way. Um, but in a school, not everyone is a STEM or computer science teacher. And so I learned on PBL. And so I had to learn how to help all educators. And so I had to dive into those frameworks. And so I wrote an article that is about to be published soon. And it's basically five steps to becoming a confident educator. And so this is an opinion piece. But these are the five things that for me, what I had to get a grip on and a handle on in order for me to be here in front of you right now speaking about these things. So number one is to know my educational philosophy. It's important that I understand or I have a set of beliefs about how people learn and then have practices, right? Um, the um, the um, second thing is to critique work and not people. And so I got that motto from one of the people that I look up to, um, Dr. Gina Olabonaga. And so that was a motto for our PBL workshops. And she actually um, you know, coined that. And so I had to learn how to critique work and not people. Third thing is to admit when I'm wrong. Um, if you don't admit when you're wrong, if you're not honest with yourself, then how can you make an impact and help other people? Um, four is to constantly improve how I design and facilitate lessons. And so I like backward design planning, um, but prior to the PhD program, I didn't know the theoretical frameworks that inform any of these practices. And so I had to learn those, but that made me very confident. And lastly, I think because of the pandemic is to use ed tech effectively mm -hmm. to augment lessons. And so those five things um, is what helped me help others. And I don't think that if I didn't have a handle on those things that I'd be able to speak to them or to coach educators like right. I do. And I, and I love how you went to the number one was to know your educational philosophy. And you spoke about, you know, how, how you envision yourself teaching. And it's not the instructional practices that, that people do. It's the way that you yourself are going to go mm -hmm. about teaching. And I think you have to, when you write a philosophy, I mean, it doesn't take a day. I think it's a revolving thing that takes time. And it continues to yeah. change um, as, as you learn more and more, uh, you know, about yourself and about, you know, new instructional practices. So, no, I love yeah, that point. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that helps when learning from each other, you know, like sometimes in education, well, in any, any job, I guess, you know, you want to compare yourself to that person or this person's <laughs> doing this and this, you know, if they're doing um, something really cool and innovative and I'm not doing that, what does that say about me? So instead of, critiquing the person, even in a, a, a positive way, right. Or a constructive way, look at their work and, and not so much yeah. take, you know, don't be judgmental of yourself, but how can you learn and what can you do to improve your own, um, your own, the, the work that you're doing? 
Sorry, yeah, like everyone's on their own journey. Yeah. And some people are on the 20th step and some people are just starting out. Um, there's a guy named Eckhart Tolle. Not sure if you guys heard of him, but yeah. Eckhart Tolle wrote a couple of books, A New Earth and The Power of Now. And he said, you need to feel comfortable being a beginner every day. And honestly, I never feel that I've arrived. I never feel that, you know, like you say, guru, Amali, <laughs> I would never refer to myself in that way ever. But I consider myself yeah. a beginner. Yeah. And because I've made a lot of mistakes, but, and because I have um, confidence, mm -hmm. when I begin every day, I'm beginning from a point of reference. I'm not winging it. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and what I've seen ah. is a lot of educators, unfortunately, are winging it. Yeah. And that is something that, you know, if you have a great personality, you can wing it yeah. and your kids will like you, things will work out, but they won't get what they need from you. Oh, that is beginning from a point of reference. I like that. Yeah. Everyone needs that, I think. I'm like writing all this down. No, that's, that's incredible. I love that. Well, I guess, um, you know, I, I just, I've learned so much. I mean, the, you should see my notebook right now. There's just scribble everywhere. Um, I, I guess, you know, what are some, I mean, you've, you've given us so many takeaways, but I guess if you had just kind of a piece of advice to, to our listeners, our teachers, um, our administrators, any, I don't know, any take, any main takeaways, any <laughs> words of advice that, uh, yeah. All right. So what I did was I went into the show notes and I dropped a bunch of links to a bunch of resources. Mm -hmm. So that's for all of your listeners. There's something there for everyone, PBL, STEM, um, computer science, you know, you name it. But the thing that my mantra or the thing that I think that makes me successful mm -hmm. is there's a quote by an author named Zorin. And he said, life is only understood backwards, but you have to live it forwards. And so backward design planning for every aspect of my life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a lesson, whether it's meeting you guys for a podcast, really is a practice that I stick to and I adhere to. And I think that if we do that, you know, starting with a school, having very clear you know, academic goals, having um, systematic approaches, um, protocols, strategies that, that you're using, educational philosophy, but then having a book study to understand the theories or the learning theories that inform those practices, and then modeling and practicing as a team, mm -hmm. then I think that will be a step um, closer to really developing the ideal graduate. I love it. And then it sounds like you're going right back to that, that strong foundation and that, that those, those basics that they need to have in order to kind of, you know, progress forward. George, you know, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we really appreciate your time. I know I learned a bunch. We're going to, I'm sure Holly's going to give me a call and we're just going to go giggle about this. And, but uh, you know, thank you for your time. Um, you know, really appreciate no, it's it. It's okay, man. No, it's no problem. Yeah. No problem at all. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you're enjoying the show. If you are Edspire fans and want to know how you can support us, there are a few simple things that you can do. The first one is to go to Apple Podcast and subscribe to us so that you don't miss a single episode. 
The second would be to leave us a five-star rating. And then the third would be to leave us a comment in the comment section. Doing those things really help support a podcast. And as you know, Danny and I have a mission of spreading inspiration and passion and awareness to educators so that we can ultimately impact the lives of children and families. You can also follow us on Instagram at Edspire Podcast. And then of course, share the episodes with your friends and families. Thank you, Edspire listeners. We appreciate you so much. Thank you.